Acts chapter 28. So, we have been now 28 weeks in the book of Acts. And here, here's an encouragement and application for all of us with this. For many people, the Bible can be very daunting. 66 books, hundreds and hundreds of chapters, thousands and thousands of verses. But the way I have learned and been encouraged to deal with it over the years is to take it just one book at a time, one chapter at a time, one verse at a time. And when we do that, we end up plowing through and and getting through. And so 28 weeks later, here we are to finish up the book of Acts. Before we get into Acts chapter 28 and finish our study of the book of Acts, just an announcement about where we go next week. So many of you know, if you were here weeks and weeks ago, I actually was going to start a series on prayer on Tuesday night. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit and even through the counsel of some folks here at the church, I decided to switch that series to Sundays. So what I was going to do on Sundays, uh, after this series on the essentials that we're going through, was that I was going to just continue, in a sense, by looking at the last words of Jesus to his followers before he went to the cross. Because just like we're looking at all of these different chapters in the New Testament letters on Sunday, what Jesus has to say at the very end before he goes to the cross are just very dynamic and powerful words. And so starting next week, beginning in John's Gospel, chapter 12, we're going to take eight weeks, and from John 12, I think it's verse 44, all the way through chapter 16, verse 33, we're going to look at the final words of Jesus to his followers before he is arrested uh, and betrayed and before he goes to the cross. Some of the most encouraging, challenging words that Jesus ever gives to his followers are found in that passage of Scripture from John 12, 44 through John 16, 33. So that eight-week series will start next Tuesday night. So we're looking forward to that. But tonight, we want to finish out the book of Acts. And we've really been looking in these last chapters at the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And when we come to Acts chapter 28, once again, we are reminded of this. God is absolutely interested and involved in the minutest details of our lives. Nothing is too small for God to be focused on, to be interested in. And sometimes the things that might even pass as sort of being imperceptible to us are absolutely being perceived and managed and orchestrated by God. And we see that here as Paul finally gets to Rome. Because last week we ended chapter 27 talking about how God had brought Paul through everything. God just everything Paul was brought through. And yet even when the ship was wrecked and he now is sort of safely on shore somewhere, he still isn't to Rome. And so it's not like, okay, God says, okay, Paul, I got you this far. Now you're on your own from here. No. 
God, as we're going to see tonight, is still at every turn right there in the midst of what Paul is doing and in literally walking with Paul, taking Paul by the hand if he's willing to follow and just taking him step by step. And what I want you to, to grasp tonight is that God is and wants to do that and be that for you. That it's not just He wants to be that for someone like Paul. He wants to be that and do that for each of us. And that even things that in our day that, that might just pass as for us not given too much weight or meaning to might have great significance and meaning to God. And, and we might actually look back on it one day and go, wow, I, I never really gave that much thought, but now I can see how God's hand was in that. Or God's hand was in that meeting or that conversation or this or that or, you know, that circumstance. So let's look at Acts chapter 28 tonight. They had gotten safely, as I said, out of the shipwreck and had landed on this island. And then Luke records in chapter 28, verse 1, after we had safely reached shore, we learned that the island was called Malta. By the way, the word safely in verse 1 of chapter 28 ties right back to the very last verse of chapter 27, where it says in this way, all were brought safely to land. The word means thoroughly rescued, to be saved all the way through. And it's exactly the same word that is used in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that we looked at at the end of our time together last week, where it says that Jesus Christ, our high priest, is able to save us to the uttermost because he saves us all the way through. He doesn't just get us up to a certain point and then say, like I said earlier to Paul, okay, now you're on your own. He's with us every step of the way. So here, even though he now gets to Malta, notice how we see God's presence and God's hand and God's providence and God's help and support still with Paul because he still hasn't got to Rome yet. And God's going to make sure Paul gets to Rome. And I don't know where God's taking you on the path that God is taking you, but I do know this. God is with you on that path and God will make sure if you continue to follow him that you will get to where he wants you to get to. And it might go through some twists and turns and all of these things, but you're going to get there and God's going to be with you every step of the way and he's going to be involved in the most minutest details of that journey just like he was with Paul. Because notice, the local inhabitants showed us extraordinary kindness friendship, benevolence, for they built a fire and welcomed us all because it had started to rain and we were cold, obviously, from being in the water and from the shipwreck. And even in that, you know, they could have landed on an island that could have been inhabited by, you know, a bunch of cannibals who wanted to eat them. And yet here they land on this island and these people are so friendly to them. Did you ever stop and think that sometimes that friendly face and that smile that you're given by someone might be even just sort of a, a hug from God to you as well? That God is saying, hey, I'm, I'm with you because you could have met this person or that, that situation could have went this way and, and it went this way. 
And that's what we see here when they met these very friendly, kind people on the island of Malta. Then notice what happens here. Paul wants to build a fire because he's cold and the rest of them are cold. So he gets a bundle of brushwood and was putting it on the fire and a poisonous serpent, a viper comes out because of the heat, fastened himself onto Paul's hand. And when the local people saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Although he has escaped from the sea, justice herself has not allowed him to live because they had a bad theology. Their theology was if something bad happens to somebody, that's just them getting their just desserts. That's the way some people are today. Their theology is when something bad happens to someone, it must be because they deserved it. Well, we obviously know, if you know the Bible, that, that's not good theology, but that was their theology. But here's a point I want to make, too. And I sort of mentioned this a, a week or two ago, that think about all that Paul's been through. I mean, he has to go through, in the last couple of weeks, all these hearings in front of all these political officials, and he's handed from one to another, and he's sort of this ping-pong ball that's passed from one to another. All they care about is their political lives, and they don't really care about Paul. And again, it seems like he's just this pawn in their hands, and yet God is with him, and God wants him to stand before all these people because God wants him to witness to them. And then Paul finally gets to this ship, and you think, okay, things are good now. He's on his way to Rome. And no, clear sailing? No, they're in this storm. And the storm is so bad that the ship is going to break apart and it's going to sink. And you're thinking, okay, all right, well, okay, that's bad. But, but now we finally got to, to an island and we're safe, right? No, Paul's building a, a, a fire and all of a sudden a poisonous serpent comes out and, and bites him. I mean, it's just like one thing after another. And I don't know about you, but I've never dealt with things like Paul, but I've been in, in days and weeks and months where it just seems like one thing is happening after another. And we get to a point where it's like, God, what's up? <laughs> Why am I going through all this? But what I want you to see is that God was with Paul in all of this. Because even though he allowed the shipwreck, Paul and the others were brought safely to shore. And even though God allowed the serpent to bite Paul, God made sure that Paul wasn't harmed by that serpent's bite. And so God is showing Paul and showing others, I'm here, I'm with you. You may have to go through some adversity and challenges and difficulties and all that, but I will be here with you every step of the way, whether it's to provide friendly people when you get to the island, whether it's to see and notice that, oh my, there's a serpent that just bit Paul. I'm going to make sure nothing happens to him. Every detail, God was there. Now again, notice, the Bible says, Paul, however, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm, no ill effects. The people were expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. You can tell these people are really grounded, aren't they? Which, can I, can I just say, isn't it nice that Paul's there? Because maybe at least for some of the time that Paul's there, and maybe others, these people need to hear truth. 
Because, man, they're like a lot of people today. They don't really know what they believe, and they got a lot of strange beliefs, and their theology is not grounded in the one true God, and therefore their theology can take them all kinds of different places. And they have no stability. And they go from this thing to that thing, and they're like what the Bible talks about, being tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine. That's why you and I need to become disciples of Jesus Christ and get grounded in the truth of God so that we have a, a stability in our lives that only the truth can bring. I want to mention this as well. The word expecting is an important word here in verse 6. They were anticipating and awaiting certain results to happen from the serpent biting Paul. But guess what? When God is in the equation, things don't always end up the way we expect them to. And we always have to make sure that our expectations, if you will, what we are anticipating is based on the hope and promises and word of God. These people weren't considering who God was and that God has the final say and God is the one who defines things. They didn't have that God within their view. And so they were expecting this, but another result came. Sometimes God even does that to us who believe in Him. Even humanly, we may go, oh, okay, here's, here's the situation I've been dealt, so I guess this is going to be the result. And every once in a while, God, being God, and God wanting to show that He is God to us in some way, will make sure that the result turns out way different than what we anticipated it. Because He just wants to remind us, I'm God, I'm the one that has the last word in this. I'm the one that has the final say. I'm the one that defines it. So make sure that when all of us are looking at life and looking at life situations, and even sometimes things like something really bad, like, oh my goodness, this serpent bit Paul, that we make sure that we include God into our equation. Because we may expect this. But God always has the possibility of overruling and bringing a whole different result than what we anticipate or expect. And that's why we've get, got to let the final result and the final say up to God. Now in that region, verse 7, around that place were fields belonging to the chief official of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably as guests for three days. Here again. Things could have went a lot different. But I believe God was with Paul and his band. And God was making sure that, you know, that they were going to be surrounded by people who welcomed them and showed them hospitality because God was leading them all the way. The father of Publius lay sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him. And after praying, after interacting with the Lord, he laid his hands on him and healed him. Now, I believe the important principle to draw from here is that notice Paul spent time in prayer with God, talking to God, communicating with God, and then the Bible says he went in and healed him. I think through that time of prayer, Paul was led to heal this man because we know from the Bible Paul did not heal everybody that was sick that he came in contact with. He, in fact, he couldn't and didn't even heal himself when he had the thorn in his flesh. Paul appeals to God and says, God, 
you know, take this thorn away. And God says, no, I want you to learn that my grace is sufficient for you. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul tells Timothy, I left Trophimus, my friend, in Miletus, sick. So he didn't heal Trophimus. He left him there and he was still sick. So Paul, even though he had that ability from God at times to be able to heal people physically, he didn't always do it and he wasn't always led to do it. And I think, the, again, the important takeaway here is what, what was the difference here? He spent time in prayer and then was led by God to heal. By the way, the word healed here is an interesting word. It is not the normal word for even someone being physically healed. It's a word that points to the one behind the healing. The supernatural healer, if you will. To the Lord Himself. In other words, in the fact that Paul, yes, was the human instrument who healed him, the word is reminding us that it was only because God, the great physician, was behind Paul actually doing the healing. Therefore, God was going to get the glory for the healing, not Paul. In my lifetime, most of those out there in the world of Christianity who either claim or feel like they have the ability to heal, many of them end up being celebrities who are by their gifts and their ability to heal ends up getting glory for themselves rather than somehow reflecting that glory to them or else they use their gift to build up a ministry empire. I'm sorry. I just don't think that's right. Let's move on. After this had happened, many of the people on the island who were sick also came and were healed. They also bestowed much honor upon us. And as we were preparing to to sail, they gave us all the supplies we needed. They literally placed before Paul and his companions everything they would need. God was in that. God was in that. Just as God was in those wise men coming to Bethlehem and bestowing their gifts to Joseph and Mary so that Joseph and Mary had the ability to be able to leave and go to Egypt for a while and escape Herod's hand, God supplied all their need according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19 that we looked at on Sunday. And God is doing the same thing here to Paul and his companions and will do the same thing to us. If something is absolutely necessary or required to do God's will, God will make sure that we have that. And God will use other people to bring it to us, just as he did to Paul and his companions. We see again how God is in all of these details. After three months, verse 11, we put out the sea in an Alexandrian ship that had uh, wintered in the island and had had the heavenly twins as its figurehead. We put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days. From there we cast off and arrived at Regium, and after one day in a south wind sprang up, And on the second day, we came to Petoli. Then notice here. Then we found some brothers, some fellow believers. Oh, we just happened to find this group of fellow Christians, right? No, see, I don't don't believe that we just happen 
on someone or something. I think God made sure that this group of fellow Christians was there to meet Paul and his companions. Again, God is in the details. And notice these fellow believers invited them to stay with them for seven days so that they could be refreshed and strengthened for their journey on their way to Rome. God had the exact group of the, the exact right group of people at the right place at the right time for Paul. There was no way that Paul or any of us could have ever humanly orchestrated all of this. And that's why, you know, that last song we sang has such a great message to it because it's not just even about, say, surrendering uh, some specific thing or whatever in our lives to God. It's literally about raising our sails as a human being and letting the Holy Spirit just sort of direct us as He will down the path God wants us to go. And so instead of saying, God, I got this and let me, let me take the helm, if you will, or let me take the wheel, it's no, God, you, you take it. And, and I will follow. That's surrender. And, you know, there's, there's, there's two different types of shepherds. There's the shepherd that literally stands behind the sheep and drives them to where he wants them to go. Or there's the shepherd who always is in front leading his sheep to where he wants them to go. And the picture of Jesus in the Bible is not the one who's behind driving the sheep. It's the shepherd who is in front leading. And the implication there is, if my good shepherd is always in front of me, he's never behind me, forcing me and driving me somewhere, then that behooves me that I've got to be a follower. Which is why he called his disciples to follow. Because that means if he's not going to force us to go his way or drive us a certain way, he's just going to lead us that we need to be willing to follow. And in following, that's surrender. That's saying, God, I, I'm not going to go my way. I'm not going to do this my way. I'm going to follow it and do it your way. And that's exactly what we see with Paul. If it would have been up to Paul, Paul would have got to Rome a whole lot differently than the way he got there. But Paul said, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God, I know that you're going to get me to Rome. I don't know how you're going to get me to Rome, but you're going to get me there. And so I'm just putting my sail up, literally and figuratively, since he went by, by ship, and I'm just going to let you sail me to Rome, and I'm just going to, instead of fighting your way to get there, I'm just going to embrace your way and receive your way and watch your hand of providence in all the twists and turns of how I get to Rome. God wants to do the same thing with us. That's how we learn by experience to trust Him and build our confidence in His leadership as our shepherd. It's not by us not surrendering and following. It's by us being willing like Paul to say, God, I know that's the path you want me to go down, but I have no clue how we're going to get there, so I'm just going to let you take me and I'm just going to follow you every step of the way. And I'm going to watch and see your hand in my life and all the different people and situations and circumstances that you bring in. And I'm going to know, God, that these things just didn't happen by chance, that these were brought in by you, and they are all part of your plan to get me to where you want me to be and to make me who you want me to be. And that's what we see in Paul's life here. By the way, very cool, I thought. The word invited here. Translated invited in the Net Bible is actually the Greek word parakaleo, the word for 
comforter, the one who comes and is called alongside of us to comfort us. And so in a sense, think about this. These fellow believers were called by God to come alongside of Paul and his companions and to comfort and strengthen and refresh them. We need to allow people to do that in our lives. We need to have those people in our lives and we need to be that for others. We need to be people that are willing to be called alongside of others to refresh and strengthen and comfort and encourage them. And we need to allow others to be called alongside of us to do the same thing as we run this race with endurance. And notice in verse 14, after they were with them seven days, the Bible says, and in this way we came to Rome. In other words, Luke is saying, how did we get from this place to that place? This way. Wasn't Paul's way. Wouldn't have been the way I would have chosen. Go through all these hearings and and near-death experiences, shipwreck and serpent latching onto my hand, and then I meet this group of people and they're nice to me and Then we go down here a little bit further and I meet this other group of people and they're nice to us and they supply us with everything we need and we just happen to be on this road and all of a sudden we meet these fellow believers who are pleading with us to stay with them for seven days and it was through those fellow believers that's the way we got to Rome. It reminds us of what the Bible teaches us. God's plan is not our plan and God's ways are not our ways. But they are the best way. And God wants to teach us that through our experience of being willing to follow him like Paul. So notice, the brothers from there, Rome now, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. So now you have this group of believers who got them as far as here And now these other believers in Rome heard that they were coming, and so they go out to meet them. By the way, the word meet here means a friendly reception. They were given a friendly reception by the first Christians they had met from Rome. How important that is. As we've always said, you know, first impressions are huge impressions. And that's why, can I say, what I see of you all You do such a wonderful job. All I can say is just keep it up. As people come to our church, especially on Sunday, and whether it's the greeting team out there outside or whether it's the folks in the lobby or whatever, you all just have such a great spirit of welcoming others and greeting others and making them feel welcomed in maybe a strange place where they maybe don't know hardly anybody. That is so important. We see that here. How important it would have been for Paul and others to finally have a friendly reception and maybe even see a friendly face, a smile from somebody in Rome. And notice exactly then what Paul did. When he saw them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Really important here. It means that Paul acknowledged God's grace works well. That's what the word thanked means. Paul's saying, God, your grace works. 
Because your grace has been with me every step of the way. And man, I didn't see some of these things coming on my journey to Rome. I didn't anticipate a shipwreck. I didn't anticipate getting bit by a poisonous serpent. But your grace was with me every step of the way. And God, I acknowledge that your grace works well. It's good. And it will get me through everything. And then the Bible says he took courage. It means he was emboldened by the Lord. He grew grew confident in the Lord through what he had experienced. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't have confidence in the Lord before this. It means that his confidence and his boldness spiritually grew because of this journey and how he got to Rome and all the things that he saw God do to get him there. And that's why God wants us to take God, him, by the hand and just follow him every step of the way. Because it's through literally following God every day, every step of the way, and taking Him by the hand as God starts to twist and turn us around the journey and the path that He has for us, that we will see God work, we will see His providence, we will see Him in all these different situations, and our confidence in Him, our faith in Him, our belief in Him, our boldness in Him will grow. And that's what God wants to build in our lives. He wants to build more confidence into our lives as believers. So in a sense, in turn, we'll continue to just confidently follow him. And by our confident following him, we will draw others to confidently follow him as well. As they observe us going after God and following him down a certain path and placing our confidence and our hope and all of that in him, it will then embolden and encourage other Christians to do the same thing. Paul mentioned this principle when he was in prison to the Philippians. He said, guys, don't be discouraged that I'm in prison. Do you realize that the brothers and sisters in Christ are becoming more bold to share their faith because of how they saw me share my faith and that I was willing to go to prison for the cause and gospel of Jesus Christ? That's how Paul looked at it. And that's how God wants to use us as well, in other people's lives as well. So the Bible says, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Wow, what a journey. Now we come to this. After three days, Paul called the local Jewish leaders together. I'm going to read most of this. When they had assembled, he said to them, Brothers, although I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors from Jerusalem, I was handed over as a prisoner to the Romans. Because all Paul's really doing to them right now is recapping what's happened so far. When they heard my case, they wanted to release me because there was no basis for a death sentence against me. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had some charge to bring against my own people. So for this reason, I have asked to see you and to speak with you. For I am bound with this chain because of the hope of Israel. I do want to stop there. Notice that Paul's willingness to go through whatever adversity or challenge or suffering was based on his hope. Again, that's why it's so important that we maintain our hope, our confidence in God, because that's the only thing that's going to sustain us when times are tough, is our hope, you see. And Paul ties, the the reason I'm willing to be in these chains, Paul says, is because of my hope that I have for Israel. They replied, we have received no letters from Judea about you, nor have we any of the other brothers came from there and reported or said anything 
bad about you. But we would like to hear from you what you think. For regarding the sect, meaning Christianity, we know that people everywhere speak against it. Literally voice opposition in order to thwart it. And that same thing is happening today. They set a day to meet with him. And they came to him where he was staying in even greater numbers. From morning until evening, he explained things to them, testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. In other words, he was using the Old Testament to say, the Old Testament and Jesus don't contradict each other. Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. Believe in him. He is our Messiah. Now notice verse 24. Some were convinced. Some were persuaded to believe in Jesus. But others refused to believe. So they began to leave, unable to agree among themselves after Paul made one last statement. Before I say this statement, let me say here. I hope this will encourage you. When we witness to people, again, as I've said to you before, God doesn't hold us responsible for their response. All God asks of us is to be a faithful witness. And even here, the great Apostle Paul, did everyone that he talked to about Jesus become a Christian and get saved? No. But he didn't take that personal as if, well, I'm a failure. I talked to all these people and and only a few of them were were willing to become Christians. No. He He never looked at it that way. And I want to encourage you. I know that you might talk to a lot of different people about the Lord and about spiritual things and maybe not get much of a positive response except every once in a while. That's okay. It's okay. Just continue to faithfully witness. That's all God asks of us. So here's what Paul said. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. Fittingly is what the word rightly means. What is accurate and true. When he said, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will never understand. You will keep on looking, but will never perceive. And here's why. For the heart of this people has become dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have closed their eyes so that they would not see with their eyes, so that they would not hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them and make them whole. I want to go back to the word dull here because that's the key word. Verse 27. And the reason I want to stop there is because this can apply to us as well. The word dull literally means to become fat or thick. That's literally what it means. And it carries then the meaning of being unfeeling or calloused. In other words, Isaiah was basically saying that the Jews have... Not a physically enlarged heart, if you will, but a spiritually enlarged heart that cannot be penetrated by the Word of God. That's what dull means. And I I want us to, to just be mindful that we stay on the right track, if you will, and not allow our heart to ever get so fat or thick or unfeeling or calloused that we cannot be moved by the Spirit or the Word of God. That even though we see what God is doing, we cannot be moved by it. Even though we hear what God wants and what God, you know, where He wants, that, that we're not moved by it. That, that's not, obviously, a good place for any of us to be. 
we have always got to stay spiritually sensitive. And that means our heart has got to be in a place where it is willing to to hear even the hard things and the things that maybe we don't want to hear, but the things that we need to hear from God. The Jews, Isaiah said, had grown past that. And they had become dull. Notice they weren't always that way. They had become that way. Because just as getting closer to God and drawing near to Him is a step-by-step process, so is drifting away from God and spiritual digression is a step-by-step process. We We don't go from being close to God to all the way over here overnight. It's a slow drift. And the reason why that's dangerous is because a slow drift to many of us can be imperceptible. And yet when we look up, all of a sudden, we're way far away from where we used to be. And so I I just wanted to stop there because this is a good sort of reminder and warning to us as well that we always make sure that our heart doesn't become dull. And that when we hear God's voice, we heed it. And when we see God, we, we respond to God in a positive way. The more we say no to God, and, and the more we refuse to go God's way, that's where then the layers, if you will, of thickness around our heart begin to to happen. And it's sort of the same thing that Paul talks about when he talks about our conscience can even be seared. Same thing. That, that, That flesh can become scar tissue to the point where there's no feeling in it anymore. And that's the way, that's where some people are today. There, there's no feeling anymore to be moved by God. And they can hear the messages, but it doesn't affect them anymore. And then one final thing, verse 28 through 31. Therefore, be advised, Paul said, that this salvation from God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will yield in obedience to the voice of God. And here's another principle. If we refuse, God will find someone else who will listen. And the one who ends up not getting the blessing is the one who refused. Because God won't sit there and beat his head against the wall. God will go to those who will listen. And he will start communicating with them when we refuse. And then the Bible says this. Paul lived there two whole years in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with complete boldness, fearless confidence, and without restriction. No hindrances at all from the government. Here's what I want to leave you with. I want you to go back to that phrase, his own rented quarters. The words mean his uniquely own place. Unique to Paul. This this was not the way that God had planned for someone else. 
But this was God's will and plan and purpose for Paul. This was how he alone would get to Rome. And this, when he got there, is how God wanted him to serve him. And the reason I bring that up is because just like with Paul, the Bible teaches that God has a very uniquely well-fitted responsibility, plan, will for each of us as well. And instead of us trying to fit into somebody else's will or what we, you know, what we desire, we need to learn to grow to be more like Paul. That instead of fighting it, we just relax and rest in it. I'm sure Paul again would have said, wow, under house arrest in Rome for a couple of years? It's not the way I would have done it. But Paul said, God, if that's your will, if that's your uniquely well-fitted responsibility and plan for my life, so be it. And you can tell that Paul embraced it because of the way Paul embraced and welcomed all those who came to him and interacted. Paul didn't get bitter. Paul, Paul didn't get discouraged or disheartened or, or end up in despair because he was under house arrest for a couple of years in Rome. He simply said, if this is God's will for me for this season, God has a great reason for it. I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to be the best person ever under house arrest for God. And every person that comes in contact with me, anyone who comes into that door, man, I'm going to welcome them. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. If this is God's will, that's what I'm going to do. And can I say for each of us, that's where God wants us to get to. God's plan and will and purpose for our lives and His uniquely well-fitted responsibility probably isn't to be under house arrest somewhere for a couple of years. But God may in this season of your life say, I want you to go through this or I want you to deal with this or I want you to go down this path or whatever. And you and I have a choice in that moment. We can be sort of like that baby that's fighting sleep and you know not wanting to, to go down and, and just keeps fighting, fighting, fighting. Or we can just stop fighting and know like that baby that we are in the arms of one who loves us and we can trust them. And so we can just fall asleep and rest and relax in the arms of Jesus knowing that whatever he's asking of us, there's a great reason and purpose behind it both for us and for others. And it's only for us. It's not something he's going to ask of someone else because he meets us right where we are. And so tonight as we end this great book of Acts, what is the action that God wants us to take at this moment in our lives? And will we, like Paul, embrace it? Or will we continue to fight against it? 
My encouragement to you tonight is whatever God's purpose and plan and will is for your life, embrace it. There is no better plan, purpose, or will than God has for us. And it is so unique to us. Embrace it. Let's pray. God, we have so enjoyed and grown through our study of this great book in your word. We can't imagine, God, all the twists and turns of these people's lives and what they went through. And yet, God, in many ways, each of us who sit here or stand here tonight, our lives can be quite similar. Maybe we're not going through exactly the same things, but Lord, we're going through different challenges, but challenges nonetheless. We're going through different adversity, but adversity nonetheless. And God, what you are asking of each of us is the same thing you asked of them. To follow. To trust. To be confident and to grow in our confidence in you every step of the way. To know, God, that you have something very uniquely planned just for us. Because we are a unique creation and and no one fits into your plan with this just like we do. So God, help us to surrender to that tonight and be willing to follow. Encourage us, God, as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here and through this 28-week study. We'll see you next week as we dive into the Gospel of John, chapter 12.